Today's show is brought to you by TransferWise. Do you ever have to send money internationally? If you do, you know it's expensive and time-consuming, and the exchange rate you get from your bank or provider can be terrible. Next time you have to make an international money transfer, you should use TransferWise. The exchange rate is incredibly good, so your money goes much further, and you pay only one small upfront fee. Setting up a payment is simple and fast. You know exactly what you'll pay up front, and you get a real exchange rate with no markup. The two friends who founded TransferWise were immigrants from Estonia, and they were sick of getting ripped off when they sent money home. So they came up with a quicker, cheaper, and easier way to transfer money between countries. Then they realized this great idea could be a company. Today, TransferWise lets millions of people and businesses all over the world send money internationally. See how much you can save at TransferWise.com. You can download the app for Android or iOS. Once again, that's TransferWise.com. Transfer, as in I need to transfer money to another country. Wise, as in I'm going to do it the wise way. TransferWise.com. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who will try to backseat drive from her self-driving car, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play Music, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. Today, I am handing the red chair over to Recode senior transportation reporter, Johanna Buyan. Johanna recently spoke to Taggart Matisson, the director of product at Lyft. Johanna, tell us a bit what you talked about. We talked about Lyft's new self-driving ambition, working on actually building out the software, the brain of the car, so you'll no longer have to fist bump with your Lyft driver. Oh, we just be never want there. to fist bump with a Lyft driver, <laughs> not once. All right. Thanks, Johanna. Let's take a listen. Thanks, Kara. I'm here with Lyft Director of Product, Taggart Matisson. Taggart, welcome to Recode Decode. Thank you. So we have quite a bit of ground to cover. Lyft has been really, really busy. Some things that you work on, some things that you don't. But for instance, the company expanded into more than 100 cities in the first quarter of this year. You closed a $600 million funding round, valuing it at $7.5 billion. And you announced a new self-driving strategy. You're also catching up to he who must not be named, Uber, in the U.S. in terms of market share. So there's a lot I want to talk to you about. But first and foremost, I would love for you to explain to our readers what it is that you do at Lyft. And that I did not intend for that to sound diminishing in any way. Just no, no. What does a day in the life of Taggart look like? Yeah, so director of product responsible for autonomous at Lyft. In terms of what do I do? Well, we're trying to solve a pretty hard problem in terms of how does a car drive itself. Mm-hmm. And looking at it, uh, we have a team that is responsible for the platform for a network. And so most of the time it's working with them to figure out how are we going to extend this you know, in support of some of the partnerships that we have, mm-hmm. as well as working with our other team that we announced recently, um, which is actually the brains, this, this self-driving system uh, that we are planning to bring to market. Great. And so let's talk a little bit more about you. Yeah. Um, So before Lyft, you were at Twitter for two years? That's correct. And so talk to me about how that happened. How did that transition happen? You were at a social media platform company, and now you're at a mobility platform doing self-driving, which is not an easy problem, nor is it an easy transition. So was that something that you signed up for coming into it? Or, you know, what kind of interested you in that? And how what part of your experience sort of lends itself to heading up a self-driving department? Sure. 
Uh, I would actually take it even farther back, and I actually spent nine and a half years at Salesforce, mm-hmm. right around uh, the office or right around the the area here, and. Most of the time I actually spent on building out that platform. Mm -hmm. So that enterprise platform, uh, working through with number of partners, number of solutions, and figuring out how do we extend uh, Salesforce as a product, an enterprise product, and Mm -hmm. tying into a number of systems. And I then actually went to Twitter to do something very similar, which is uh, how do we take Twitter and how do we provide value to businesses? And so this is kind of a data platform that I actually helped build out while I was there for, for two years. Mm-hmm. And really the premise there is, you know, someone like Coca-Cola is not necessarily interested in the fact that there were a million tweets about their latest product. They were more interested in the demographic and psychographic you know, key elements of those messages. Mm-hmm. And so how do you distill that into something that they can quickly evaluate? Um, those were the types of services that we started to build. And Peter Morelli, who is VP of Engineering at Lyft, I was actually very close with him at Twitter as well as Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And I had a quick conversation with him about two years into my stint at uh, Twitter. Got an opportunity to meet uh, John and Logan and Tali, who runs product. And amazing conversations, loved what they stood for and kind of the focus, and joined Lyft very soon after that. In terms of what I started with, I actually started kind of on the enterprise side on the platform. Right. And you know, your question, hey Taggart, what is it in your background that allows you to, to kind of focus on self-driving vehicles? Well, the interesting thing is I've been building platforms for you know, more than 12 years. And really that is kind of a key aspect. If you think about this open platform that we've built and how we're tying partners onto kind of our network, mm-hmm. that is kind of key to what I've been doing for you know, over a decade. Right. Um, in terms of the self-driving car, the, the perception, the localization. Yeah, you're not planning, touching that. <laughs> no, no, that, that we, have, we have some very talented people um, that are focusing on that, but I'm, I'm working with them in that area as well. Great. Yeah. So I do want to talk, you know, in more detail about the different self-driving strategies that Lyft has right now. But um, just more generally speaking, what has, has that been the large part of your focus in 2017? Are you no longer doing enterprise? What is sort of the largest or the the most important problem you're trying to solve right now? This this is my focus 100 percent and actually has been a majority of my focus for uh, about a year and a half now. Mm-hmm. And so in terms of day-to-day responsibilities, what we talked about earlier, again, it's how do we extend our, our platform, basically our network, as mm-hmm. well as starting to build out the capabilities in the in the vehicle itself. Gotcha. And so what about the company's priorities? Lyft has been busy making announcements from taco mode to mini mode, but also relationships with transit partners like Amtrak in New York. Um, so it feels like there's a lot of movement on, on a number of different fronts, but is there you know, a, a sort of hierarchy of things that the company's focused on right now? Is it the current business? Is it down the road? Yeah, it's, I, I would say autonomous is one of the key pillars that the, this organization is focusing on. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we are dedicating a significant amount of effort, and you know, as part of this SDS announcement, we even have... What is SDS for uh, listeners? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yes, we should, we should work on that acronym. Uh, <laughs> self-driving system. Mm-hmm. So the, imagine it's, it's basically the brain. Right. Uh, but we are deeply focused on that and have basically built even, you can call it a unit, uh, in terms of you know, we have real estate down in Palo Alto that we're starting to spin up. 
and plan to have uh, hundreds of engineers uh, focusing on this problem in 2018. Mm -hmm. So autonomous is front and center for the company as a whole. Yeah, absolutely, we see it as a as an extension. And so a lot of people have asked, you know, hey Tiger, what? How does autonomous fit in with Lyft strategy? Mm -hmm. And uh, John talked about this a little bit in his Medium post, but we see it as kind of this an extension to to what we do today. Mm -hmm. um, Today we're 100% uh, drivers on our platform, and over time we see kind of this hybrid evolution where autonomous will become at some point uh, in our business very, very key mm -hmm. to how we provide transportation solutions to, to people. And so, you know, I, I see this not something that necessarily impacts us today, mm -hmm. but in the next couple of years, something that we're going to start to weave into a core aspect of our product. Gosh, and so before we talk more about autonomous, because yeah. that's obviously you know what you're focusing on, what the company's focusing on, but there there are a few other developments. Lyft, for instance, is now in 350, 350, yeah, 350 cities in the U.S. The plan was to be in 100 more by the end of the year. You guys were ahead of schedule in the first quarter. You were you expanded into 100 more. Um, so you know. This happened at the same time that Uber was facing sort of public scandal after public scandal. Um, and I think that that in conjunction with the you know original plan to scale has allowed for Lyft to catch up in market share. And so what I want to break down that down a little bit. What does the company primarily attribute that boost to? Is it just do you think it's difference in branding, scale? Is there new you guys also have a new marketing campaign? Um, what do you think really led to that boost in market yeah. share? We've we've continued to focus on the same kind of core goals that we've had as as a company for a very long time. And I, I you know, you look at the experience, you look at how we treat passengers, how we treat drivers. We haven't really changed any of that. Um, yes, the, the question around the delete Uber movement. Uh, yes, there was an increase in terms of passenger activations. We saw actually a sixty percent increase in passenger activations after that. Oh, wow. Um, the first delete Uber movement? Correct. Okay, yes. wow. And, uh, and so, yes, that had an impact. But really, I think the, the main growth here has been our kind of laser focus into how we create an amazing experience for both on the passenger and, and driver side. Again, uh, I like looking at what we've done with drivers. We've had over $250 million in tips mm -hmm. that drivers have, have received. I look at some of the things that we've done for passengers, uh, scheduled rides to uh, even the AMP, which is kind of our new beaconing tool that, that we've kind of rolled out to all the markets to the point where we, again, you talk about growth, we're doing over a million rides a day. Gotcha. So we've seen some pretty spectacular growth in the last year or so. And, you know, I think in terms of, what do you attribute that to? Kind of focusing on our, our core competency. Gotcha. And just for our listeners, the AMP is this physical pill-shaped thing that you yeah. put on your dashboard. It literally says lift on one side, on the other side it says, what, high it, it taggart? Says, yeah, it says high taggart or whoever the passenger is. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a, you know, it's it's a pretty interesting beaconing tool the, the thing I like about it is if you're in a crowded intersection or an area of the city and you're looking for your vehicle, not only um, do you have this nice little emitting device in the vehicle, but uh, on the passenger app, you can see the same color that's getting flashed. Mm -hmm. And that helps you kind of disambiguate between some of the vehicles that you may think um, are coming to pick you up. Right. And, and so... Sorry, go on. No, I just it's it's been very helpful. Right, and is that something that you worked on, or is that a separate team? Uh, it was a separate team. I actually was part of the the original group working on that before uh, the autonomous initiative. Mm -hmm. um, but no, we have 
20 of product people and engineers that are right. focusing on in these areas. Great. So it's it's one thing to get an influx of new users. Um, it's an entirely different problem, almost a harder problem, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, to sustain that ridership. So technologically speaking, what is sort of happening behind the scenes that you're, as you're seeing this new wave of riders? Like what happened on the ground when that first lead Uber campaign happened? The thing that we continue to focus on is, you know, and I look at what's the technology that's that's supporting us, Think of think of like mapping, locations, ETAs. Mm-hmm. So we spend a significant amount of effort ensuring first our system can handle this, both on the on the supply side with with drivers um, for for kind of this increased demand, but we're also you know improving the algorithms that we have behind the scenes mm-hmm. to improve ETAs, to improve our kind of comprehension of traffic in terms of routing, um, and our intelligence around locations as well. And so, yes, we've seen an increase, but we have been focusing on the technology behind it to make sure that our service can scale. And this was, you know, a focus of Lyft's for before the delete Uber. Oh, a- right? absolutely, and it will continue to be for the you know the entire life of this organization. Mm-hmm. And what did you have to dedicate any more energy to that once you saw? Because did you? I mean, who could have expected that wave of new users? Is that something that you had to? actually dedicate engineers to? We've always dedicated engineers to, to ensuring that we right. can scale. But more so in, in that? No, I don't, I don't see of any focused increase there. That's, that's something that we test, you know, we test every year. Right. And so, you know, is that something that Lyft would have had a game plan for? Or is that is just largely automated is what you're saying? It's, it's largely automated. Mm-hmm. And we do yearly tests on, uh, you know, we have certain days of the year, Halloween is one, New Year's Eve is one, where we see significant amount of traffic mm-hmm. on, the, on those given days. And we do a significant amount of, of validation and testing prior to that to make sure that those days are seamless. And so we expect spikes. It's just the nature of, of our business. Mm-hmm. And we're able to sustain when we need to enough services to support that, that added demand. Right. And so Broadly speaking, um, passengers often make decisions on you know which service they want to use based on price and ETA, like you said, um, some, sometimes routing, um, so convenience in general. Mm-hmm. But now we're seeing to some degree passengers are kind of making decisions based on branding and governance, uh, corporate governance. How long do you think that's going to last? It's a good question. The If you look at our strategy and how we're evolving our product, that's not something that we evaluate. Mm-hmm. And so we are continuing to try to improve the experience. Um, I, I'm At some point, that stuff will probably fade away. But if you look at the improvements that we've had on our service, I think that's where we would continue to focus. And what kind of improvements? Give me an example. Improvements in terms of uh, ETAs, mm-hmm. so having uh, better supply, as well as just improving the passenger experience as it relates to the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, calendar integration is a great example that was recently um, released. I keep coming back to scheduled rides because I use that uh, almost every day. Right. But uh, yeah, it's a continued evolution of ensuring that we provide the right services to our passengers. Mm-hmm. And just for clarity, scheduled rides, the app sends out a signal for a driver right before the the ride is scheduled, or is that something No, sorry. Uh, so scheduled rides, imagine you need to go to the airport tomorrow at, at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about this is I can go into the app, I can schedule that ride. Let's say I want to uh, 
uh, leave my house at, at four. I've just realized that I've just created a very early flight for myself. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like let's say I want to leave my house at 4 a.m. Mm-hmm. I can go ahead and schedule. That's when I want to be picked up. Mm-hmm. And then behind the scenes, the Lyft service will go ahead and manage that and dispatch a driver to ensure that they're at my house at 4 a.m. Right. But so that's it, it. They'll dispatch a driver right before you need to get picked up. It's not yeah. that a driver agrees to it and then, you know. No, no, it's it's. But there's quite a bit of intelligence behind the scenes in terms of how we identify those drivers. I can't mm-hmm. get into too much detail, but but yeah, it, we ensure that you as a passenger have a driver come and pick you up in the morning. Okay, great. And so today Lyft's brand seems to be its competitive advantage. You know, I've actually argued in the past that, you know, Lyft seemed to try to set itself apart just by its brand. You know, the services were largely the same beyond the fact that there's tipping. And that's something that's fairly hard to scale with, you know, a pool of independent contractors offering the service. But today, given that Uber's branding is so marred, Lyft's branding seems to be a very big advantage. But Uber is in the middle of trying to rectify that right now. And so it has its, you know, own driver improvement campaign. It's working on its public perception. Does Lyft have a plan for creating a competitive advantage for if and when, uh, not to say that it for sure will happen, but if and when Uber fixes its public perception? Does it go back to eventually becoming a price war? When you look at our competition, yes, they are going to continue to change in terms of how they push their brand. Mm -hmm. Again, I look at what we've done, and that is continuing our focus in the experience. Yes, they will change. They will come up with new initiatives. They will come up with a different branding technique. But we continue to look at how do we improve people's lives, both on the passenger and driver side. And I think that just means we need to continue to evolve. We can't just sit where we are today. We have to continue to innovate. And I think that actually is one of the reasons why you know we focus on autonomous and, and, and trying to figure out how do we slowly evolve uh, these self-driving vehicles into, into our service and our network. So I think the best way to, to, to answer your question is, yes, they, they will evolve. Um, they will change their branding. And we just need to continue to focus on both our passengers and our drivers in terms of improving that experience and improving our, our network as well, especially with the technology that we have. Gotcha. And so is there, do you have something coming for, you know, new driver updates, new rider updates? Yeah, we have. I mean, we have. Let's break driver. some news on Recode yeah, Decode. I, I, I can't, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can't talk to, to those areas, but if you look at the past, we, we've got launches, you know, every, every few months or so, both on the passenger side and the driver side. And we're going to continue to do that. Okay, great. So we're going to take a quick break now for a word from our sponsors. Here is Kara Swisher again. Thanks, Johanna. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Bottle Coffee. Do you remember the first time you watched TV in high definition? It was a game changer, right? Like, this is how television is supposed to look. Well, I had a similar experience with Blue Bottle Coffee. My personal favorite is something called Giant Steps, which Blue Bottle describes as viscous, fudgy, and substantial, just like myself. Going back to any other type of coffee now would be like going back to Sander Death. No thank you. Blue Bottle is fresher and more flavorful than anything else out there. That's because they work with farmers from all over the world to source only the most delicious and sustainable coffee. The beans are then roasted within 48 hours of your order and shipped right to your door. So they arrive at peak freshness. No sitting on shelf for weeks or worse in one of those single-use cups. Plus, Blue Bottle has something for everyone's palate. From the lighter, fruit-forward profiles of single origins to their deep, chocolatey espressos and blends. 
Make the switch to Blue Bottle Coffee like I did and experience what great coffee is supposed to taste like. Hurry to bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode for $10 off your first subscription order. That's bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode for $10 off. bluebottlecoffee.com slash decode. Back to you, Johanna. Thanks, Kara. We're here with Taggart Matisson from Lyft. So we were just talking about the company's growth and its bump in market share, which is very much focused on today's business, but you work on the future business largely at this point. I want to talk broadly at first because not all of our listeners know what's going on in the self-driving industry, Um, but can you explain in just a few sentences, top line of what Lyft will look like in the future, maybe 10 to 20 years, let's say, because I know that there's a lot of debate over when this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so like, what, what is the company working toward right now? In 20 years, I see this as a transportation as a service, very similar to the other service apps that you have, um, where it is a, an autonomous fleet of vehicles that provide provide the ability for you not only to just get from let's say point a to point b which a lot of people think that's just it but also an entirely different experience and what do i mean by that uh and you just asked for three sentences no that's fine i said uh, a couple point. sentences that's totally uh, fine sorry but yeah we, we we are evolving into a basically a a service a transportation service and in you know, 10 years or 15 years, this will most likely be an autonomous service in Mm -hmm. terms of vehicles. And the really interesting and exciting opportunity here is changing that experience. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not so much about getting someone from point A to point B, but what they can do with that time. Mm -hmm. And that's where focusing on personalization and whether that's me going from this office back to 185 Berry Street in San Francisco, and hopping in an autonomous vehicle and that vehicle already being connected to my email or to my calendar and for me to be able to take that time back Mm -hmm. and just kind of focus on work. There's a ton of things that we can do in uh, in these vehicles that go far beyond just the very basics of of transportation. Right. And so you said evolve into transportation as a service. Is Lyft not today? No. No. What I, sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, Lyft absolutely is transportation as a service, but I think of it as almost like a subscription. Right. Right. So that's that's where I I think we evolve. Uh, You look at Spotify, you look at Netflix, this, um, we become yet another kind of subscription service Mm -hmm. that is an afterthought. It's a muscle memory of when I go outside, I, I need to get somewhere. I, I hop in my lift. Mm-hmm. And as the technology improves, we have an opportunity to, to really kind of improve that experience as well. Right. And that, that's kind of that tighter integration that I was talking about. Gotcha. And so why self-driving? Why is it so important for Lyft's future? One, one is safety. So autonomous vehicles are going to be far safer than, than anything that's on the road today. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look at um, vehicle fatalities, the last two years we saw the biggest increase, about 14%. In over in over 60 years, and that's that's pretty significant. Mm-hmm. And I think we have an opportunity, especially with these vehicles, to provide a extremely safe service, even more safe than what we have today, for for passengers. Two, as you get into a um, kind of an autonomous service, we have an opportunity to also look at uh, improving the price point of, of the service itself. And so I think over time, you could potentially see the cost of the service go down as it becomes something more of a subscription. Uh, And then I think three, 
it will help us further our scale. And so today, like we said, we're in over 350 cities. That basically covers 80% of the U.S. population in terms of uh, access. We can even go further beyond that once we have fully automated vehicles that we can control in terms of positioning uh, and, and increasing the optimization that we have. Right, and so how does it become more affordable in a subscription model? Talk me through that a little bit. So the, the goal here is that the, the vehicles, the technology over time and as we scale um, will become cheaper mm -hmm. and we can further optimize it to improve uh, the pricing that passengers will get in the end. Okay, and it will become cheaper by, by virtue of what? How does it become cheaper? Uh, it becomes cheaper just the vehicles again. Mm -hmm. um, and you're in, also you don't have to pay commission out, so you can charge less. Uh, I still think so. When we talk about uh, commission drivers, like I still think drivers will will be in this equation. We can talk about the hybrid network, but mm -hmm. if you just look at the autonomous vehicles, uh, there's an opportunity for the car to become mm -hmm. cheaper in terms of how it is manufactured, and then utilization of these vehicles. So we can, we can get these vehicles into a very high utilization pattern, whether it's 60% or 80%, it's you know, anyone's, anyone's guess at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and then also just kind of positioning of these vehicles as well to ensure that we have the most optimal you know, location for these passenger pickups. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a bit of a technology play, it's a bit of a subscription play, um, and it's a bit of kind of where these vehicles are evolving, and we think the combination of those will help us lower you know, these prices over time. So there, there's still a fair amount of debate over when this is actually going to happen at scale. And so you talked a little bit about the hybrid model, and we can go into that a little bit. But you know, I think even two years ago, people were saying either it's never going to happen, or it's going to happen in like 40 to 50 years at the earliest. Mm -hmm. This year, I think we sort of overcorrected, and people are like, yeah, it's happening. It's going to happen next year. But you know, just given automakers' production cycle, the fleet turnover rate, regulations, the infrastructure changes that we're going to need, it seems like the reality is somewhere more in between. So, so where does Lyft stand on when we'll see fully autonomous cars on the road in mass? Fully autonomous, no driver. Yeah. In mass, we are still a number of years out, mm -hmm. and that's why we talk about. What's the number, though? <laughs> I mean, it's it's anyone's guess at this time. We could you could say six to ten years from now, you start to see fleets of autonomous vehicles. But I think. The, the better way to look at it, or at least in, in my opinion, one way to look at it, you're going to start to see these autonomous vehicles out in in some of these urban areas. Fully autonomous. Full, fully autonomous. Mm -hmm. And the, the beauty of these networks is that, and I've, I've talked to a few people about this, we know the start and the end of the ride before it happens, mm -hmm. which, is, which is actually quite interesting. We can look at the time of day, we can look at the weather, we can look at the traffic patterns, we can actually look at the segment, basically the route mm -hmm. which the car is going to navigate. And we can evaluate based on those constraints or conditions whether or not we think they're opt it's an optimal condition for an autonomous vehicle to be dispatched. Mm -hmm. And so what I think you will see is over time you're going to start to see these autonomous vehicles in pockets mm -hmm. on, um, on, the, on the Lyft network. And as the technology evolves and improves, you will see greater rides being serviced by these, or, dis, or these vehicles being dispatched to our passengers. And the nice thing about all of this is that you, as a, as a Lyft passenger, you're kind of abstracted from all of this, meaning you're always going to get a ride. Right. When you need to go from this office to the airport, we'll have a, a car in three minutes or less to you. And in some cases, 
it will be a traditional lift, mm -hmm. and in other cases, it will be an autonomous vehicle. Right. And, and that's so, sort of your pitch to automakers who work with you as well. It's you're you're gonna have you know in between when you don't have a like enough fully self-driving cars, there won't be that sort of pocket of time where consumers aren't getting a ride. There there will still be drivers fulfilling that if, if there aren't enough self-driving cars. Right. And if you if you look at uh, we have a number of partners that we've announced with the open platform. I think. You know, the opportunity here, and we want to collaborate. Again, this is this is very, very important, especially as you look at autonomous and, and where it's going and mm -hmm. what it means, I think, to society. Uh, we have a chance here to work together to slowly evolve the capabilities of this technology in a, in a very isolated and safe fashion. Mm -hmm. And that's where, you know, working, and each partner will be slightly different and will have a, a you know, different experience as well. We will slowly and surely bring these onto our network in a way that as you again like i said before as a passenger it, it's no different i mean yes it's going to be an autonomous vehicle but right um it's going to slowly and surely be part of your day over time now when will it be a, a fleet of autonomous vehicles a hundred percent i think that it may never be a hundred percent um and it will take a significant amount of time to get there it may never be a hundred percent in the sense that it's not, if you look at autonomous vehicles, and one great example, we do non-emergency medical transport, mm -hmm. which is if I need to go to, the, let's say, the doctor's office and my, my leg is in a cast mm -hmm. and I can't drive, we, we have a service for that. And I think if you get into the world of autonomous, we, we may need someone in that vehicle to help that person, right. help them get out of the door. And so I think there's there are things that we're doing beyond just getting a passenger from point A to point B, where there's additional services that we can, you know, as a company look at. Yeah. And, and speaking of which, a few years ago, I, when I first started writing about Lyft's autonomous efforts, you know, I talked to a few people at the company, and there was this idea behind creating experience pods. You know, you know, each car can be have a sort of a different theme. One yeah. is a working pod, and another one is like maybe a manicure or pedicure pod. Is that still kind of the direction that you guys are heading toward? That, that's a, I mean, it's it's a fun aspirational idea yeah. of where can we take this? Mm -hmm. um, yes, I mean, if you look at John Zimmer, he came from the hospitality uh, vertical, and this is this is something that he's talked about as, as as well as how do you go from just taking someone from point A to point B to right. making an amazing experience? And so yes, over time you could have it, it may be a different car that takes me. Um, into work versus mm -hmm. the car that I take to, I don't know, go to a concert or maybe go to Tahoe or go with my kids to soccer practice. Um, these are all different experiences that we could potentially provide as part mm -hmm. of our service when you start to think about the pod. But right. I think there's a lot that we need to do first. Before that, yeah. Yes. Um, so let's catch everyone up on what Lyft has announced. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for those of you know who don't know, Lyft has self-driving ambitions, um, and that those ambitions were sort of made clear for the first time when General Motors invested in the company and uh, sort of struck up this partnership where essentially GM cars would be plugged into the Lyft network. Fast forward to today, Lyft is now working with Alphabet self-driving arm called Waymo, a startup called Newtonomy, Jaguar Land Rover. Have you announced anyone else? No. No, like he's smiling because he almost said a company, a partner. Do you want to tell us today? Yeah. <laughs> so you and I have talked about this before, but it, it does seem like there was 
a clear shift in strategy at some point where, because now you're also developing your own self-driving tech, which is the most recent announcement. You know, Lyft at first was going to serve as this sort of agnostic platform that people could just plug their cars into, and the company was well positioned to do that. Now Lyft is also developing its own technology stack. So that's not cheap, nor is it easy. And, you know, I do wonder what led to that decision to take on that cost. We've been working on Autonomous for about two years now. And I would actually argue it, the, the strategy hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're seeing is us slowly and surely uh, opening up new pieces of that strategy. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, as we talked about in the past, is this, this open platform mm-hmm. and working with a number of partners to bring their self-driving technologies onto our platform to our passengers. Right. And that, that is something that's very, very core and uh, clearly a... It's fairly organic for, for a, this, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you look at our efforts with the, the brain, the, mm-hmm. the self-driving system, it's actually tied to that very, very closely. And the, the reason why we announced this and the reason why we think we're so well positioned is, is a couple of points. One, uh, we have a significant amount of, of data. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do a million miles a day in terms of trips. If you think about the self-driving problem for for vehicles, uh, a lot of people will talk about mapping. Mm -hmm. Well, there's 930 some odd miles of navigable road in San Francisco, and yet we have enough um, information to help us identify a very small segment of that Mm -hmm. that would allow us to get our vehicles up and running. So we don't need to map all 930 some odd miles of road. We can map a a very small segment of that Mm -hmm. and bring these cars on those. And so there's one aspect of that is is the data. We, we know the routes. Mm-hmm. And so we have um, an opportunity to work with our partners to ensure that the technology that they're bringing to market fits kind of those requirements. Mm-hmm. And the second piece on that is our core business is really about mapping and ETAs. Mm-hmm. We kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. but it's absolutely critical to get uh, drivers to passengers as fast as we can. And there's a lot of kind of mechanics behind that. And that actually is, I would argue, part of the autonomous problem. So we've been focusing on mapping. Mm-hmm. If you think about how do you get a self-driving car uh, to drive itself, well, you start with Smash mapping, labs, yeah. you then get into perception, mm-hmm. you then get into localization, uh, then you can start talking about actually driving the car, which, is, which effectively is path planning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have a, a number of people that have done this in the past. And so if you look at Luke Vincent, who is VP of engineering, who's running autonomous, uh, came from Google, basically, I call him the godfather of Street View, Mm -hmm. but has a ton of experience in the world of mapping and perception. And these are core aspects that uh, the companies need to build in order to have a self-driving car. Right. And so if you look at our network, yes, like you said before, it seems like a very natural extension to go talk to uh, some of these providers to bring their technologies onto our platform. But what we realized is that we also have a significant amount of both data um, and expertise and you know, our core competency as it relates to mapping with locations in ETA mm-hmm. is actually key to this problem. And so we, we have some of these pieces and that's what kind of brought us to the point of, well, let's continue to build that out. Which is why now in, you know, like we said, Palo Alto, level five engineering, we'll have a, uh, a large- yeah, Level five engineering is the new name of that policy. Yes, yes. yes. Um, Very And cute. of course, <laughs> yes. I, oh, yeah. <laughs> 
And so just, you know, we're, we're probably coming up on time for this part of the segment, but explain why it's not the smarter strategy for a company like Lyft that, you know, has said before that you guys are well on your way to profitability. Um, you know, you already have all the ingredients to be a great platform for these network or for these uh, self-driving tech companies. Why isn't it smarter just to do that and, and let GM and Alphabet take on the cost of building out the brain of the techn- or the car? I think there's two reasons. One, we actually have, I think, key aspects and assets that we want to help mm-hmm. provide to these, to these organizations, to these partners. Uh, we think we can improve and speed up those efforts. Again, we, we know the routes. Um, we have been working on uh, mapping for a significant amount of time as well. And mm-hmm. there's an opportunity here for us to help those efforts. And then two, we need to make sure that we have access to this technology in the future. Mm-hmm. And so it seems almost, I guess in my mind, I've been thinking about it too long, but kind of an obvious extension to what we do today. And an, an investment that I think is, is quite critical for our organization to continue to thrive and grow as, as a company. And so you don't want to be kind of beholden to a partner's timeline or... It's, it's not so much that. I think it's more we have a ton of experience and data that we can bring to the table to help our partners evolve their, their technology mm-hmm. as well as evolve our own. I mean, explain to me, though, you know, for our listeners, it's you could have done just the you know platform aspect of it and then also provide your partners with mapping data you know routing data things like that Mm -hmm. because that's what you like you said lyft already has all of that why go that extra step you know is it are you guys trying to ensure that you're not sort of left behind in this it's more of we think we can do more than just provide the mapping data Mm -hmm. we have the experience to help with perception to help with localization and so I, I think that, you know, if, if someone asks, and I have been asked that question a number of times, it's, it's not just about the data. Yes, we could, we could work and help some of our partners with the data, but mm-hmm. we can also provide significant experience beyond just that. Okay, great. So we're going to take another quick break. Here again is my boss, Kara Swisher. Thanks, Johanna. Today's show is brought to you by Amazon Web Services. Developers love Docker containers because they give applications portability and consistency all the way from your laptop into production. Amazon EC2 container service from Amazon Web Services makes it easy to run Docker apps in the cloud. Deploying, operating, and scaling your infrastructure happens automatically with Amazon EC2 container service. Best of all, you only pay for the AWS compute and storage resources you use. With Amazon EC2 container service, you can focus on building apps, not managing your container infrastructure. Learn more at ecs.aws. I also want to tell you about Too Embarrassed to Ask, my other podcast, which I host with Lauren Good from The Verge. Hey, I have um, some food in my mouth, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let <laughs> someone else speak for me. All right. Every Friday, we answer your questions about consumer tech. Lauren, what did we talk about this week? Actually, Pat, this is Pat, CEO of Impossible Foods. Pat Brown, what did we talk about this week? Uh, we talked about meat. Meat. And the lack thereof, plant-based meat that your company is making. They just got a big funding. And we talked about all kinds of things, such as... How to make meat without animals. What uh, makes meat delicious. And how you're going to get huge and kill the beef industry, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Thanks so much. It was a really great discussion, and we hope you'll go listen to it. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. Back to you, Johanna. 
So thanks, Kara. We're here with Lyft Director of Product Tiger Matisson. We have been talking about Lyft's autonomous strategy, so I want to continue on that a little bit. There's still a lot of questions about how this is going to shake out in the end. It's still very, very early. Lyft has only been working on it for two years. I think that's about around the same time that Uber has been working on it. I mean, Waymo has been working on it for like nine years, but that's them. But it's still so, so early, so we're not. there's still a lot of questions about things like which aspect of the self-driving supply chain, whether it's the car, the brain, or um, you know the path to market, which is Lyft and Uber, which becomes the commodity? What do you guys think is going to happen? Explain to me what, what sort of is the ideal model for Lyft. Obviously not becoming the commodity is the ideal model. But what does Lyft's business look like if every car maker, every self-driving tech company is on both Uber and Lyft? How do you get a competitive advantage there? Yeah. The hope here is that a number of providers actually get to the point where they have level five vehicles. Mm-hmm. And we're actually quite excited about getting a significant number of partners, which is why we built this open platform. And your question around, hey, are you going to get a little concerned about this being commoditized? I actually look at it, no, what, what our focus will be is how do we ensure that our platform is flexible enough to take any of these vehicles from these providers and then on top of that, I really think it's going to be the experiences where we differentiate. Mm-hmm. And so we look at today, how do we differentiate? We differentiate on the experience. And mm-hmm. I think in the future, that's the same focus that we will have. Now, clearly, we're going to want to make sure that we can integrate these to the point where um, we can optimize in certain conditions and cities. Uh, but it's also going to be a point of how do you evolve beyond um, just looking at this of, of going from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, but yeah. I think there's there's a, a huge and an exciting area of, of kind of personalization mm-hmm. around the experience that we can improve. Right. And an area that we'll, we'll focus on. But I think that's also you know, a, a number of years in the future. Mm-hmm. I think getting there, and that's where we've been focusing, is helping evolve this technology, that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And I think doing it right instead of doing it in a contrived fashion is also something that we're focusing on as well. We're right. not looking to partner and then just release uh, vehicles or experiences that don't fit our brand. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you know we're working with a number of partners and we've spent a significant amount of time on this and we're waiting for the technology to get to a point where we feel um, it matches the level of experience that passengers get today and hopefully over time um, improve on top of that. Right. And so you and I have actually talked a lot about this particular aspect of it. But talk more about how Lyft plans to not control, but you know, have sort of a say in on how consumers kind of interact with the car. What is the plan to have kind of control over the in-car experience at all? Is it going to just be through the app? Uh, you know, what are you guys thinking in terms of consumer experience? I think we're, we're first we're very flexible on that, mm-hmm. but I I think one of the things we should focus on is that experience. Mm-hmm. And so today uh, we have the passenger app, we have the driver app, and then clearly you have the experience in the car. Once you take that driver out of the car, you you go from this very familiar environment to a very foreign one, mm-hmm. um, especially in the early years of autonomous vehicles. And that, I think, is really an area where we can focus on not only providing the experience, but also a bit of education as well mm-hmm. for passengers so they help understand how the car is perceiving the world, um, but then also gives us yet another opportunity to improve all of the kind of experiential stuff that we've been working on. Mm-hmm. So 
it's absolutely about the, the pickup experience. So long before the car even arrives, how do we evolve that to ensure that it's a very, very clean pickup right. to getting into the car, to the validation that it's in fact the right passenger, that all the passengers that have got into the car, to then maybe some experience stuff around, whether it's your you know Spotify or Netflix account, just you know, magically turning on as you get into the vehicle, to it may be a quality of ride. It may be that um, I, I get motion sickness and so what I want is a, a slower a slower ride. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that it's on Friday and I'm going home and we know that. And so instead of going down uh, the freeway, I'm gonna take some side streets and, and kind of enjoy myself. Uh, there are all these things that we can, we can do and I think pretty critical in terms of evolving, evolving the experience. Yeah, and that seems like a, a huge, huge opportunity for Lyft or for, for any company working on this, you know, creating a customer experience so that your brand is kind of the touch point for the consumer throughout the ride. But let's break down the the, the passenger validation aspect of it, just mm. that's something that people know today. How is a self-driving car going to make sure that, you know, this passenger is the right person? Yeah, there's... One of the things we absolutely need to get right is to ensure the safety that the right passenger is getting into the right vehicle. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of, of technologies today that allow us to do that that handshake. Um, but the expectation is that... Not a fist bump? No, <laughs> no, no. And I, I, I won't get into the specific technologies, but what we want to do is ensure that uh, there is a validation from the vehicle and a validation from the passenger that, yes, this is in fact my car. Mm-hmm. Um, that the, that the passenger can get into the car, that there can be enough kind of, again, a handshake of sorts to ensure that the, the passenger has closed the door, mm-hmm. has fastened their seatbelt, uh, and if there are other passengers in that car as well, ensuring that there's enough validation there, um, focusing on, on that safety aspect. Right. Do you envision that being something that the car is manufactured to do? Do you think, you know, it'll be via the app? Will there be sort of some sort of in-car console that does that? It's, gonna, it's definitely going to be an integrated experience because if you think about it, you sit down and there's going to be weight on a seat. A sensor is going to recognize that. A sensor would need to then send it to, imagine you have a, a lift experience on a console. Mm-hmm. Um, that console needs to recognize the fact that there is weight in that seat. Mm-hmm. And so it will need to be a very, very integrated experience between the vehicle itself, the sensors in the vehicle, and then uh, the experience that we plan to build out. And so, you know, automakers in the past, um, for instance, with Alphabet and um, later on with Uber, have been sort of resistant to letting these tech companies kind of take control of the in-car experience because obviously they don't want to become metal benders for tech companies. Um, How have your automaker partners sort of reacted to the idea of working closely with Lyft on things like, you know, how a sensor, you know, communicates with a a passenger Mm -hmm. or things like that? Well, I think each provider of of this autonomous tech there's going to be an aspect of their brand in that vehicle it's not Mm -hmm. like this is going to be lift only and if you look at the open platform and i'll use an example of one of our providers you know it's it's the newtonomy vehicle it's it's the newtonomy self-driving car on the lift network Mm -hmm. and we want to make sure that when i as a passenger get into that vehicle yes i know that i got in uh, through my Lyft app, and we'd like to have the experience in the vehicle consistent across these partners for the passenger's sake. But at the same time, we also want to make sure that there is an awareness uh, where our partners can highlight their technology. Mm-hmm. So I look at it as it's a collaboration. It's mm-hmm. not just Lyft only. Um, it's absolutely kind of a, a Lyft 
for example, a Lyft Newtonomy experience. Mm -hmm. And so it's, I'm on the Lyft network, I get into an autonomy car. And that's where I think the, and you need to have tight integration on that as well. Uh, but I don't see it as just, boom, just Lyft. Right. And so, you know, this is something that you, I think you guys have probably filled a lot of questions about because, you know, when you announced that you were doing your own self-driving system, but it does appear that you are now kind of par- competing with your partners in autonomy, for instance, Alphabet's self-driving arm. Talk to me about why that is or is not true. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's competing competing at all. Mm-hmm. And I look at it as when or as we're building out this SDS. Mm-hmm. The goal here is that as we build out this technology, we have an opportunity to feed this technology back to our our partners. Mm-hmm. And whether that is mapping whether that is localization, whether that is path planning. Right. And you'd be willing to sort of piecemeal it out. They don't need to get the whole stack. It's, it's early on, to, to, be, to be fair, but the goal here is to offer off as much as we can mm-hmm. to kind of improve, improve their tech. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not competing because? No, I, I, I don't see any competition whatsoever. I, and you know, we've talked to our partners as well, and we still are working with these partners, and clearly they see this as a collaborative effort, not mm-hmm. as a competitive one. But it wouldn't be the case where, you know, in an autonomy car, Lyft has its self-driving software. It would, you know, f- for that particular partnership, I know you guys haven't talked too deeply about the details of I- any of your partnerships, but, you know, Newtonomy would be creating the entire self-driving stack and would just kind of be plugging into the, the platform, correct? That is correct. And so it wouldn't be the case where Lyft would be inputting their own self-driving system in there. No, no, not not now. But if you think about where vehicles are today, mm-hmm. and it may be, let's talk about perception stack. Uh, depending on the city that you're in, mm-hmm. there are different you know pedestrian patterns. So it may be that a given partner's stack has been trained on a given set of cities. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's San Francisco or maybe it's New York. I think we're going to find that there's going to be very very unique things that you're going to want to train on as you go to different cities and it may be something that we can provide mm-hmm. as a service or as an add-on. Right. And so it is again early on with all of this stuff. If you ask where we are today, we've built this open platform, we're working with our partners, mm-hmm. and now we're also starting to build out this self-driving system that over time will get to the maturity where we can work with our partners to see how we can further collaborate. Mm-hmm. And it may be, as you, as you mentioned before, bits and pieces, but maybe it could be the, in, the entire kit. Right. And so how important is it for Lyft to be first to market with a fully self-driving car? I think it's critical for us to be one of the first to have uh, self-driving vehicles on our platform, but it doesn't have to be Lyft's self-driving software that's powering it. No, 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 no. And so again, if you look at our, our strategy, it's both. Mm-hmm. And so yes, we want to be the, the first to market that have self-driving vehicles on our network, but it's important to note we're less interested, so you're going to see for a number of, of years, pockets. Right. And to me, that's that's not the exciting piece. The exciting piece is once you have tens of thousands, 50,000, 100,000 mm-hmm. of these self-driving vehicles on your network, that's where we want to be one of the first. Mm-hmm. And that, that's going to take time for us to evolve both our network as well as our partner's technology. Right. Um, but that's, that's our core focus. Why is it important to be one of the first to market in, in that, uh, at that scale? Because it, our, our whole business, I think, over time, is, is tied into that. So again, we, we talk about this hybrid network 
And it's not just 100,000 vehicles. It's mm -hmm. just making sure that we can evolve into it. Right. And so the, the key here is to, to ensure that we have the sophistication where we're in a city like San Francisco, and let's say we have um, 10,000 autonomous vehicles, that those 10,000 vehicles can be weaved into our hybrid network to ensure you as a passenger will always get um, a ride and that also as we introduce those into the platform mm -hmm. allows us to improve ETA It allows us to improve our routing right. There's a whole host of things that we can do and it's quite critical when we talk about those numbers because those numbers That's where you really start to change the service mm -hmm. and potentially change the experience for passengers as well Right, so the the competitive advantage there is not so much because there is the aspect of it where there's going to be increased profitability given that you know you, you'll have fewer drivers that you need to pay a commission out to but you're saying that I don't think we're going to have fewer drivers. I think that's oh those cars in particular. You won't have. You'll, it's just all the profits go to Lyft, is what I mean. There's in certain models. Yeah, I, I think it's too early to tell exactly how that that will play out. Mm -hmm. But the the goal here is to get those vehicles onto the network to tie them into our service in a scalable way, not right. just you know, if you have five or ten vehicles floating around a given city. Um, that to me isn't isn't scale, right? Um, and it will take time to get there, right? But the, but the competitive advantage of being one of the first is that you will be earlier to be able to test and validate, get more information, and then improve the service. And then that improvement is kind of what makes yeah, absolutely. And mm -hmm. so that's that's why we're working with these partners. That's why we've opened it up so early. Is that we want to be one of the first to market to have these relationships to help build this technology so mm -hmm. it fits our platform quite well. Right. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about self-driving. Obviously, that has very real implications for drivers, although, you know, Lyft ha plans to have this sort of hybrid model where drivers may always exist on, on the network. But and this is, you know, a question I'm sure Lyft has gotten a lot as well. Your entire pitch is that you're friendlier to drivers, that you, you care about your partners. How do you navigate, you know, being able to continue to communicate to drivers that they're valued, but also say we're working, you know, very hard and we're very serious about something that may in fact replace you at, at some point down the road. I think the first thing is drivers have always been part of our family. They have been core to our service. And as far as I'm concerned, they will continue to be that. Mm -hmm. And and yes, over time technology will give us opportunities to potentially provide additional services mm -hmm. on our platform, whether that is a concierge service, uh, whether that is an in-vehicle experience where a, a driver helps out in that capacity. These are all things that you know we will slowly evolve and work with our drivers on. Mm -hmm. The other piece is if you think about hundreds of thousands of autonomous vehicles, there's an aspect of cleaning, there's an aspect of maintenance, there's an aspect of kind of like fleet management. And mm -hmm. so I think over time, you're gonna see a lot of services that come up that kind of surround this area that provide us yet another opportunity. Right, another opportunity to provide jobs for the drivers who, who may no longer drive for Lyft. It's another service that we can, we can provide. Mm -hmm. In terms of drivers on our platform, we don't see it being any less than it is today. Like we see them absolutely core and we're very early on in terms of our growth. Mm -hmm. And so we, we see drivers being a critical component of this equation. And I think over time, we can provide additional services mm -hmm. as part of our, our platform to our passengers that these drivers may be, may be interested in. Gotcha. And is this a conversation that Lyft has had with any drivers? So yes, we've been proactive with our drivers. Uh, we have a, 
advisory council that works with them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's one of these things that we want to continue to work with them. Again, this is a, a transition that is going to take a significant amount of time. And I think there's a real opportunity here to work with our drivers, as we always have, on what this future is going to look like. And what has sort of been the feedback so far? What have you heard from drivers? It's actually interesting you brought up the, the car maintenance part of it because in conversations that I've had with drivers, they think that self-driving will never happen because you need someone to clean up the vomit. And mm. like that in your mind is the biggest obstacle to self-driving, which is interesting. But I mean, what, what have you heard from drivers? I've had a number of conversations with drivers on one side of the spectrum. They, you know, they, they're dubious. They're not exactly convinced that this technology will evolve to a point mm -hmm. where it can service passengers at, at the level that they think it needs to. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's others that are actually quite excited about this technology change and actually want to be a part of it and do see the opportunities that may come out of this as these autonomous vehicles come to market. Gotcha. And so this is kind of more related to drivers than it is to autonomous, but you know Uber is kind of infringing on the driver-friendly space. They have this 180-day driver campaign, rolling out a lot of features, some of which Lyft already has. I mean, first, I mean, what do you make of the campaign in general? Do you feel like it's a genuine effort? Do you, what do you make of the changes that they're rolling out? They seem to be following a lot of the, the efforts that we've done for a number of years. And uh, I, I can't speak to their efforts, but right. you know, when we look at drivers, they have been core and part of our family. And so we're going to continue to improve that experience. I look at it as an opportunity for us to even continue to even differentiate beyond, I think, what they're, they're trying to do. Right. And so Lyft does have plans to roll out new driver products and features and things like that. Yeah, that. we have an entire team. If you look at our product organization, we have an entire team that's focused on the driver experience. Mm -hmm. And so today, let's say I'm interested in driving for Uber or Lyft, convince me to drive for Lyft. Well, with I, I think the best question would be, do you have a car? No, I don't. Great. I'm a new so, <laughs> fan, Fantastic. We have this thing called Express Drive. Mm -hmm. Express Drive, we can provide you actually with a vehicle. Mm -hmm. You can almost imagine uh, the minute you sign up, I can hand you the keys, and you're basically driving that vehicle now for Lyft. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, unless you have a car. No. I, mean, I think we've already yeah. highlighted it. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the other piece is, again, if you look at... Uh, the community that we have, the driver ed education. There's also a number of things that we do in terms of driver incentives uh, to help you as a driver get up to speed on our platform. And uh, there's there's tipping, of course, as well, which I know our, our competitor is now jumping into the game as I well. I love that none of you ever say the name of your competitor. <laughs> this always happens, but yes, go on. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, last question. Um, what's next for Lyft self-driving announcements? Are you guys, do you have, are you focused just on establishing partners or what's coming up? No hints other than standby. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of exciting activities that we have planned for this year both on the platform side and the self-driving system. Great, Tiger. It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Now I'm going to throw it back to Kara Swisher one more time. She's going to tell our listeners where they can find more podcasts like this one. Thanks again to Taggart Matisson from Lyft for coming on to the podcast and also to Johanna for conducting the interview. You can find all of Johanna's coverage of Lyft, Uber, Tesla, and more at our website, recode.net. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews we've done with Uber, SVP, Francis Fry, 
Senator Cory Booker, and Fortune Executive Editor Adam Lashinsky, just to name a few. You can find all those episodes and more wherever you found this one or on our website, recode.net slash podcast. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows. On Recode Media with Peter Kafka, you'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your questions about consumer tech. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from all of Recode's live events, including the Code Conference. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Recode Decode. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thank you to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then.